Well, today we're going to continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount. For some weeks now, we have been going through the sermon that is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and just looking at the verses there to see what Jesus was saying. And we've come to a portion of that sermon today that is challenging for us and somewhat intriguing. It is that portion where Jesus said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he also said, if someone smites you on one cheek, then turn the other. The truth is, many of us probably would identify more with the communist leader who said, we communists have many things in common with the teachings of Jesus Christ. My sole difference with Christ is that when someone hits me on the right cheek, I hit him on the left cheek so hard that his head falls off. Now, there are some of us who would probably say, well, I can identify with that, but what we're going to do is to see what Jesus had in mind when he said this. The truth is, that portion that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth comes from ancient law. It was found recorded in the Code of Hammurabi, who lived some 2,000-plus years before Jesus was born. It is recorded three times in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 24, and Deuteronomy chapter 19. That portion of the sermon that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is normally seen as somewhat savage. It is the law of the West. Do unto others before they do unto you. Smoke him out. Bring it on. That is the way we normally interpret that passage of Scripture. But in truth, when it was given, it was meant to be merciful. Now, as we look at these verses that we're going to look at today, I want you to understand this with me. If you find yourself favorably concerning the words of Jesus concerning these verses, then I think it is possible for you to say that you have died to yourself. All right? Now, that's what this is. If I can say that I am doing what Jesus has said to do concerning these verses, then you would be able to say, I have died to myself. So that's what we're going to look at. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning in verse number 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. As we've been looking at the sermon that deals with the law, you recall that there are three steps in this. There is the law that was given by Moses, and then the interpretation of the Pharisees, and then the correction of Jesus. Now then, that's what we're going to see today. So what then was the intention of Moses? When he gave the law, you recall that he had two goals in mind. The first was to control excesses. 
So when Moses then gave the law, it was for the purpose of controlling excess. We've already seen that, for instance, concerning the issue of divorce. Now, you remember that during the time of Moses, divorce was very common. A man could divorce his wife virtually for any reason. And so Moses dealt with that. He gave a law concerning divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out from his house. Now, understand the purpose here, the goal here. Divorce had become very common. A man could divorce his wife for any reason. Too much salt on the food. She didn't look good. Any reason at all was reason enough for divorce. So the first thing he did was to limit the grounds for divorce. He said it was for some indecency. Now, when we were looking at that passage of Scripture, I said there are two schools, the Hillel school, that define some indecency in the broadest terms. And then the Shammai school that defined some indecency as sexual unfaithfulness. And it is obvious in the sermon that Jesus sided with the Shammai school. So he, he reduced then the reason for divorce to some indecency. He said that if a man is going to divorce his wife, then he gives to her a bill of divorcement. And that was for the protection of the woman. And then to emphasize the seriousness of it, he said to the man, if you divorce your wife, then you cannot remarry her. So do you see in that law what Moses was doing? It was to control excess. We see the same thing in lying in verse number 33 of our text again. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. So at the time of Moses, people were using oaths for the purpose of evading the promises that they had made. And so what he is doing here is giving a law, giving a command in order to control the excess. So in Deuteronomy 23, 23, he said, You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips. All right, so Moses then gave the law for the purpose of controlling excess. We see that in divorce, we see that in lying, and we also see that in violence. That's what we're looking at today is violence. We know that man is violent. Why is that? Why is man such a violent creature? Well, there are two basic answers for that. One comes from the evolutionist, and the evolutionist would say that man is violent because of the survival of the fittest. Man has to be violent in order to survive, and so that is his nature. Man is evolved. Man is violent in order to survive. The theist, on the other hand, would say that man is violent because he is a sinner. And the reason man is violent is because he has a sinful nature. So you have these two explanations of violence. Man is violent because of survival of the fittest. He has to be violent to survive. Or man is violent because he has a sinful heart. So how do you deal with that? Well, there are two different ways of dealing with it. 
The evolutionist, again, sees the problem of man as being violent because of the survival of the fittest. Therefore, you control it externally with laws, with the police force, with the military and so forth. So it is controlled then externally. The theist says, no, you control it because it's a condition of the heart by getting a person regenerated, a new heart. And then he is controlled internally. So one is external, one is internal. So what did Moses want to do? Why did he give the law? To control excess and to establish justice. Now look at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In reality, that law is saying that the punishment for a crime should be appropriate to the crime. That's what that's about. Unfortunately, we normally want to collect with interest. And so he gave this that the eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, means then that the punishment is not to be greater than the crime. That's the reason that I said to begin with that this was intended to be merciful. Another thing about this law is that it was not given to individuals, but it was to be litigated by the court. So when there is an issue here, then it is to be litigated in the court of law. And so the Scripture says in Deuteronomy 19, verses 18 and 21, And the judges shall investigate thoroughly. Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So when we're talking about this, you need to understand that the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, means that the punishment is to be appropriate to the crime, that the decision is made, it is litigated by the court, and scholars tell us that it was never carried out generally in a civilized society. Why? Because of the possibility of injustice. Barclay said, I found this interesting. The Jewish jurist argued rightly that to carry it out literally might be, in fact, the reverse of justice. Because it obviously might involve the displacement of a good eye or a good tooth for a bad eye or a bad tooth. In other words, if uh, you were to knock out my tooth and then I'm going to knock out your tooth, maybe mine was bad and yours was good, is there justice? That was the reason that concerning the issue, a monetary settlement was normally made. Rather than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in a civilized society, the way it transpired is that normally it became a settlement of money. So the intention of Moses when he gave the law was to control excess, first of all, and then to establish justice. Well, okay, now let's look at the interpretation of the Pharisees because that's always interesting to look at. They saw this, first of all, as being a positive command from Moses. It was your duty. If someone offended you, then it was your duty to make things right. It was your duty to get even. 
That's what they believed. It was a positive command from Moses that if someone did you wrong, it then was your duty to make it right. Only problem is, is that that conflicts with other statements of Moses. In Leviticus 19.18, Moses said, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you see their problem? The mistake of the Pharisees? They saw it as a positive command. Now, before we are too hard on the Pharisees, don't we make that same mistake? And I'm not setting, understand this, I am, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. I am not presenting myself as an example. When uh, someone hits our children, what do we tell them? Hit them back. Like I said, I'm not saying I'm an example. In baseball, if a pitcher gets up and hits the batter and it is determined it was intentional, what does that team's pitcher do? Hit him back. See, that, that was the thing. That, that, was, that was what the Pharisees were doing. They saw it as a personal matter. So they ignored the courts. It was a positive command. If someone offends you, you are to make it right. They ignored the courts, and they got even themselves. They levied punishment on those who had offended them. That's the way that it worked. All right, now let's look at the clarification of Jesus, because this is always a challenge. Perhaps we should begin by reviewing the, uh, in, the uh, principles of interpretation. And Jesus has told us how we are to interpret Scripture. So what are the principles that he's given us? Well, first of all, you emphasize the spirit, not the letter of the law. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You see, the, the, folks, the word of God is not to be a set of rules. Now, there are some rules there, but it is not to be a set of rules. And that was the problem, and that was the mistake that the Pharisees had made. They saw it simply as a set of rules. And so Jesus said, in interpreting Scripture, you emphasize the Spirit, not the letter. Which was the problem of the Pharisees? Now look at verse number 21 concerning murder. You've heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Now you see, the Pharisees emphasized the act. Murder. Jesus emphasized the motivation. Anger. That's, that's focusing on the spirit rather than the letter. We say the same thing, uh, thing there with adultery. Verse number 27. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Again, the Pharisees emphasized the act. Jesus emphasized the motivation, lust. He said, look, folks, deal with lust, you won't have a problem with adultery. Deal with anger, you won't have a problem with murder. So the first thing in interpretation is, he says, emphasize the Spirit, not the letter. Secondly, in your interpretation of Scripture, it is not to be ridiculous. 
It is not to be absurd as it oftentimes is. For instance, the Libertines in the New Testament had an, a ridiculous interpretation concerning grace and sin. And so in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, what they were saying is this. If grace overcomes sin, then you ought to sin more so there'd be more grace. See, would you agree that's a ridiculous interpretation? Well, that's what Paul said in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? See, that was a ridiculous interpretation that if grace overcomes sin, we ought to sin more so there will be more grace. Let me give you another example of a faulty interpretation. Verse number 39. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. There are those who have read that passage of Scripture, and they have concluded a, an absurd interpretation. In fact, Count Tolstoy said that as Christians, we are not to resist evil. Therefore, there is to be no military. There are to be no policemen. There are not to be none of that. Why? Because we are not to resist evil. And to resist evil, he said, is not Christian. Another principle concerning the interpretation of Scripture is that Scripture must be consistent with Scripture. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1.20, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, folks, this is so important for you. You cannot take a verse of Scripture out of the Bible and build a doctrine on it unless it is consistent with the rest of Scripture. And a lot of the foolishness we have is because someone took a verse of Scripture out and built a doctrine on that that is inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. Now look at verse 39. I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If you have an inconsistent interpretation here, you would conclude that Jesus is a pacifist. Don't resist evil, no matter what people do to you, and yet that is not true. In fact, Jesus was arrested. False charges were brought against him. He stood before the high priest as a result of it, and he defended himself. And so the Scripture says in John 18, 22, and 23, when he had said this, that was his defense, one of the offers standing by gave Jesus a blow, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, bear witness of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? Jesus was not passive concerning that. He said, You have wronged me. And if I have done wrong, then you tell me what it is that I have done wrong. So he challenged the abuse. Let me give you another example, verse 42. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Well, now, does the Bible, is the Bible saying that every time someone comes up to you and says, I need some money, that it's your obligation as a Christian to give it to them? Is that what he's saying? You have to interpret Scripture to Scripture. There's another passage of Scripture that says in Thessalonians, if he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. I know that's not popular today, but it's what it says. 
And I'm just trying to tell you what the Scripture says. So, with these principles in mind, what was Jesus teaching us? What is the lesson we are supposed to learn? Look at verse 39 again. I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, folks, this is dealing with an insult. That's what this is. I, if, come here, Steve. <laughs> Let me show you what I'm talking about. All right, you stand right before me. All right, now you're going to slap my right cheek. How do you do it? How do I now, do don't it? actually do it, just but just right, right, right this. No, my right cheek. Your right cheek. That's what it says. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. In my right hand. And you're right-handed. All right. How do you do it? With the back of the hand. According to the rabbinic law, that was twice the insult than to slap someone with the flat of the hand. So Jesus here is dealing with an insult when we are insulted. There are many ways that we are insulted. You can be insulted physically. Jesus was. His face was slapped. His beard was plucked. He was spat upon. He was insulted physically. He was insulted verbally. They said that he was a wine-bibber and a glutton. They insulted the Apostle Paul verbally. They said that he was not a good speaker and that he was ugly. I don't know what that had to do with it, but they said he wasn't a very handsome man. But that's what they said. And and as, as conservative Christians, we are oftentimes insulted. Now, it's a bunch of those right-wing fanatics. And they say, wing nuts. I don't know what that is. Does anybody know what the, You know, Christians are, right, conservative Christians are called wing nuts. Now, I hope that's not something bad, I mean, bad that I don't know about. But what I'm saying is that it is dealing with an insult. So how then are we to respond to insults? When you are insulted as a believer, how do you deal with it? Well, personally, we do not retaliate. We pray. When you are insulted, you pray for the person, and you pray that the Lord gives you an opportunity to witness to that person. And I know of people who have done exactly that. Practically, practically, you're not expected to tolerate abuse. Maybe it's because of the way that I am, but one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the, in the Bible is when Paul was arrested and beaten. And um, then they found out he was a Roman citizen. You can't do that to a Roman citizen. They had arrested him without bringing him before the courts and so forth, and you can't do that. When they found out that he was a Roman citizen, they sent some emissaries down to Paul and said, You know what? We think that... We, we want to be gracious to you, magnanimous to you, and so what we'd like for you to do is just go on out of town. Don't worry about anything. Everything's cool. Just go ahead and leave. Paul said in Acts 16.37, but Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison, and now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. I sort of like that. You want to push me out in the dark of the night? No way are you going to do that. You have done me wrong, and now then you're going to come down here publicly and deal with it. I'm not leaving in the dark of night. So that was dealing with insults in verse number 40, and, and I'm going to have to hurry because you're taking too much time on this. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Now, that's insistent on my rights. Well, we're big into rights today, so I'm going to insist on my rights. You know what he's saying? Give up your rights. Because God is the avenger. You're not. God is. There have been times when someone would do me wrong, and really and truly, to be honest with you, I want to knock their lights out. But there have been those times when I have just got on my knees and prayed and said, Lord, I'm giving this person over to you. In fact, I threatened my wife with that one time, scared her to death. <laughs> Give them over to the Lord. Let the Lord deal with it. You know what? God knows how to deal with it. So what he's saying here is that we don't insist on our rights. We give them into the Lord. And then in verse number 41, he says, And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. You see, at this time, the Romans were in control of Palestine, and they had the authority, they had the right. They could insist that a Jewish person would carry the pack of a Roman soldier for one mile. The, the Jews were... They resented that terribly. And so what they did is from their house, they marked off exactly one mile in every direction. And they would carry the bag because they had to, but when they got to the end of that mile, they would throw it down because they had fulfilled their obligation. The application is is that you are, as a believer, you are to carry it an unrequired mile. Barclay said, when a task is laid on you, even if the task is unreasonable and hateful, don't do it as a grim duty to be resented. Do it as a service to be gladly rendered. Then he talks about giving in verse number 42. Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. The rabbis laid down five principles for giving. Number one, giving was not to be refused. The rabbi said everyone who refuses charity is put in the same category as idolaters. Number two, giving is to remove humiliation. We help, uh, we help retain the standard that the person lost as best we can. Three, giving is to be secret. The giver is not to know to whom he gives, and the recipient is not to know who gave. Giving is to benefit the recipient. Now then, if someone wants you to give them something, and they have the means or they have the money, and you give them, then you reclaim that from the estate. But if someone does not have the means, they do not have the money, then what he is saying is that uh, you give and never ask for it back. And then fifthly, they say that giving is a privilege. Now let me conclude. This text, I think, is designed to cause us to face ourselves, because these are areas we struggle with. And so it is designed to cause us to examine ourselves, to face ourselves, to ask the question, am I dead to myself? Because that's what the Bible says. I am to die to self that I might live to Christ. So I look at this and ask myself, am I dead to myself? Am I dead to myself concerning self-defense? You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Am I dead to myself? Concerning self-defense. I'm not to allow my family or my nation to be harmed, but I'm not to allow the old nature of vengeance to control me. Okay? That's what that means. It doesn't mean that I just roll over and I'm run over, but I do not allow vengeance to control me. Second, am I dead to myself concerning revenge? But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. We are to die to our natural desire to retaliate. Three, am I dead to myself concerning injustice? If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat also. How do you respond when you're dealt an injustice? 
Do you respond as a Christian or do you respond as a lost person? That's a question that you have to answer because that's the issue that Jesus is addressing. What about your possessions? Do you have a godly attitude toward your possessions? So, how do you measure out concerning this passage of Scripture? Because I believe what Jesus is saying is that this is a test where you can answer the question, am I dead to myself? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we die to ourselves to follow after Jesus Christ. What that means, I believe, is not that I give up everything that I have and all of that, but I deny the old person because I am a new person. I deny the old person and become a follower of Jesus Christ. How'd you do? That's a question that you have to answer. How do you do? How'd you do with this? Our gracious Father, I pray that you will examine our hearts, that we might see what you see. Lord, that we might be able to say as a believer that I have died to myself, that I might follow after Jesus, not that we do it perfectly, but, Lord, that that's the desire of our heart. And, Father, I pray today for those who need to die to self to follow after Christ, to be saved. And, Lord, for some, that would mean joining the church, becoming a part of this family. I just pray, Father, that we might find ourselves to be reflective of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing an invitation. The staff will be here. If you're here without Jesus, would you commit your life to Him today? Would you like to do that? I'd like to be a believer. I'd like to be forgiven. I'd like to know Jesus. Then you come. If the Lord has spoken to you about being a member of this church family, we'd love to have you. You come. Stand together. As we stand, they sing. You come. I'll greet you.